Welcome to episode 41 of The Wind Down. I'm your host, Angus Delaney, and for our season three finale, we're bringing you an election reflection. Swinburne University co-hosted an election night radio broadcast in collaboration with a bunch of other universities, the Junction Community Broadcasting Association of Australia and Community Radio Network. It was an absolute success, and I'm joined by host Jacqueline Jannon and studio EP Aditi Kuti. Jack Aditi, tell me about your Saturday night. It was an absolute success. It was an absolute <laughs> success. We smashed it. Uh, yeah, no, um, it went surprising. Uh, I don't want to say surprisingly well, but um, we had a lot of support. Um, uh, we, we had a big team, really. We had a big team. We had so a really we had, big team. Um, we had a live cross team managing a, a lot of the logistics around crossing to the reporting team that was out in the field across the country, a lot in Western Australia, New South Wales, and Queensland. Um, we didn't have, I think, any representation from NT or SA no. or Tasmania. No. Um, the premise was that CBAA was meant to pick up the slack on that, but whether they... Anyway. Um <laughs> Then we had the analyst team. Uh, we had Alessandro come on uh, to speak to kind of the results in the moment. The social media team obviously did some great work. Um, and then we had our uh, political expert, um, Andrew Dodd, as well. I, I think it was a kind of a bizarre night because we walked in and didn't have any idea of, of like, I, I remember Alessandro being like, okay, cool. What do you guys think is going to happen? No one really piped up. No, no one was particularly confident. And, you know, one way or the other. Mm. And through 7 p.m., by 8.30, it started to unravel. Yeah. And we were like, whoa. Whoa, okay. I definitely got that energy throughout the night that, like, any result that was coming in was a surprise. I think especially the biggest surprise was Peter Dutton's seat uh, of Dixon being in doubt. Because Mm. we actually had a reporter at um, the Labour candidates party. Mm. And we... She even told us beforehand, she's like, I don't think this is, I don't think she's going to win, but it'll be something interesting there anyway. And then they were in the lead at the start. They came so close. And I think that was kind of the biggest thing was that when we were sending our reporters out, obviously we encouraged them to go to the places that we thought would win, but then no one really knew who was going to win what. And I think, I think that was the thing. Like every time a result came through, we were just kind of surprised by it. (laughs) <laughs> and when you're going into a, a night like this where there's so much uncertainty about mm. who's going to win, like there's so much uncertainty for Australia, but also you're putting on this huge live broadcast, which you can't really, obviously obviously there's a lot of preparation, mm. but it does have to come through on the night. Were you feeling anxious at all? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, a little bit. So Naomi and myself were the sort of like host and we were scripting what we thought would be um, sort of a safe baseline to run with and then Aditi your job was more or less to structure it and give us the key points to be able to make crosses and and talking points and all the rest of it Mm -hmm. stressed going in might I think be a bit of an overstatement like was there a lot to take in and and keep track of yes but it wasn't overwhelming I think speak for yourself um (laughs) (laughs) no I yeah so I was incredibly stressed mainly because um especially because CBAA had told us we needed to have our rundown finalized by Thursday and it was definitely not finalized by Thursday Mm. um we I was kind of still I think I only had the first hour ready by the time we got into the studio to set up and um almost the second hour, yeah. which ended up changing anyway because we had issues. Um, hour three and hour four, we figured... All bets were off. Yeah, all bets were off because we, had, we no had no idea what was happening. Like like you said earlier, we didn't really know what the result was going to be, so we couldn't decide who to cross to. Um, and 
Because the other thing was as well, we didn't know what reporters, which reporters could stick around. Exactly. Yeah. We didn't really have any indication of like how long they were around. There were definitely parts of the night where we were trying to get in contact with a reporter, but they were already on their way home. Mm. Um, even though we had told them to stick around. But anyway. Um, <laughs> we, we got some we good got, traction. We got a lot of good traction, I think. And, and definitely uh, people ended up, I think, in, a, in functions that we didn't even dream that they were going to be able to get into. Yeah. And... Uh, at the end of the day, I think we managed to cross to where things were happening. I think mm. we managed to go where we needed to. Um, and there were a lot of, I mean, this was part of the plan. We tried to put people in marginal seats as, pos- as much as possible. And that is that was reflected in what happened in the night. It was, so. it was a surprisingly well-rounded broadcast, I'd mm. say. Um, I, I think a, a good chunk of that was having such strong WA rep, um, mm-hmm. having uh, really switched on um Queensland reporter as well Incredibly being able to so. like they were stationed in Dixon but then they were like okay here's what's going on in the, like the five other yeah, seats in that I'm essentially, like okay essentially <laughs> the morning off we had three people in Queensland essentially the morning off two of them dropped out so it was literally just last minute um messaging uh yep. Verena Power uh wonderful reporter like hey are you able to just do a Queensland rap she's like no and I was like it's okay we're gonna give you the research just make a script um and she managed to do it and mm killed it well all the feedback i've heard heard has been fantastic so you should you should be very proud of yourselves and i would like to kind of pick your brains as part of our election reflection here on the wind down Mm -hmm. and at the time of recording anthony albanese was sworn in this morning as prime minister there are 14 seats there are 14 seats that are still too close to call and labor needs four seats to form a majority government so i'm wondering do you guys think that is a minority government a bad thing no no um the the optics of that are it depends on the the sort of bias or the leaning of whoever you speak to about it. Um, mm-hmm. If you speak to people in the Labour camp, they look at a minority government through this sort of, well, it cost us three years of coalition to be able to boot them out. Um, because especially in the second term, um, so it would have been uh, Gillard and then Rudd, mm-hmm. uh, that was a minority government with Greens. And mm-hmm. there were a few policies, I believe, uh, emissions trading scheme, um, policy that were highly advertised as a screw up because they weren't able to get the legislation through because Greens were like, this isn't good enough. Yeah. Um, that, uh, I think, is an example of, of like when you push a minority government to a bit of an extreme. Shockingly, the Greens have a stance on climate policy, you know. Um, but uh, beyond that, I mean, at this point, we still don't know, A, if there will be minority government or B, who they decide to go with. Because they've got mm-hmm. the choice of picking independents, and they could, may, they may well choose some of those teal independents, or they could side with Greens. And the problem is they're in a bit of a bind either way, because the independents need to show they've done something for the community, so that then they don't get swept out very quickly next election. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Greens, if they don't side with Greens, then they're going to get blocked in the Senate by them quite a lot, because the Greens have quite a decent representation. Yeah, in the they do. I think. Um, I think they've got a fairly decent representation in the Senate, but also in the lower house. And I think... They're best. Yes, absolutely. They're best yet. And I think um, what's really interesting, I think, about the results so far is that we have a lot more independence than we normally have um, in government. And so Labor could essentially go either way in Mm. terms of making their plans. And 
it seems like they're more likely to, to to make deals with the independents. I know they've done with the Greens in the past and that has not worked for them. But also a lot of these, most of the independents, not all of them, are teal independents um, who have a more conservative stance in t- financially. A lot, of the, a lot of them have liberal backgrounds. A lot of them have liberal backgrounds. They just want climate action. Mm. So they're probably going to take um, an economically conservative stance on that climate action. And especially if Labor has... Anthony Albanese has already said there will be no carbon tax. Mm. It seems like that's what um, Labor might end up going with. That said, I mean, there, there's something to be said for um, hoping that they form a coalition with Greens because of Greens' uh, economic, mm-hmm. e- like progressive economic stance. Mm-hmm. You're right in saying that the independents don't have that sort of background. And obviously, um, as much as Labor need to be mindful of balancing climate um, policy in a way that doesn't like kind of frustrate or alienate, especially regional voters, mm-hmm. their economic policy is arguably a pretty just as big of a platform to be running on. And so if they end up pairing up with the independents, that's something they're going to be very... That's they, definitely going to be an issue. be mindful of. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and and last week on the wind down, we spoke with Professor Kate Crowley from the University of Tasmania, and she mm. said that the Gillard minority government actually passed the second most amount of legislation ever mm. in mm-hmm. collaboration with the Greens and independents. It was only, I think, John Howard's second term that yep. passed more legislation. So it definitely is a viable way of getting strong policy through. They just have to make it work. And we did touch on the Greens just then about having they had a really strong election. Yes. Why do you think the why do you think this year that the Greens did better than than previous years? I think um I think uh people are skeptical of Labour for some very good reasons. The Labour, I think, is try to move centre and chase after the votes that they that the Libs had there last election. There was a election. lot of um, minimising differences yeah, between the there coalition. There was a lot of minimising those differences. And I feel like for the majority of the campaign, pretty much up, in, up until the very last week, a lot of people were like, well, what's the difference between the two? Um, and I think people moved to the Greens because they wanted more drastic action, I think, especially with regards to... For, for a hot minute there it really seemed like Labour wasn't really going to be that much different than a Liberal government. Um, so I think that's probably why people resorted to the Greens and I guess that includes a lot of pre-votes and that kind of thing as well. Also, a lot of... Um, like Anthony Albanese distanced himself from the Greens saying they wouldn't form a minority, like a coalition with the Greens. Yeah. So definitely they were taking that step away. There, yeah. there was a lot of um, advertising around you know, voting for anyone else apart from Labour helps Liberals get in. And, yeah. and as we see, I think, every election, although thankfully a lot of that is being dispelled as time goes on, um, a lot of misinformation, disinformation and confusion generally around um, preferencing. Mm-hmm. Um, that obviously plays to, their, to, to Labour's um, base of like, well, you know, the last time that Labour had a minority mm-hmm. government, it didn't go so well because they got booted out and didn't have a chance to get back in for so long. But... Um, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how it pans out in the lower house, especially because we still we still have no idea if they're gonna, if they're even going to have to form a minority government. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are so many seats um, right now that are so in contention. There's 
I think Gilmore is literally 50.2 to Liberals. So we, and we have no idea like how that's going to end up. So there's some really, really tight races still happening. Mm. Um, and what's made it really interesting again is there's the Greens and the Independents, which have had such a strong showing. So it's really hard to say, like, it's not just going to go to Liberals if it doesn't go to Labour. There's so yeah. many other options that are, that are in contention. Well, I mean, even in my seat, like we still don't know in McNamara whether or not mm-hmm. um, Labour is going to get in again mm-hmm. um, or if Greens are going to end up coming in. Um, yeah. So there's uh, there, there continues to be quite a lot of that. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting that like I think it's also a testament to that there's just been a lot of like you mentioned there's a there was a lot of uh, misinformation around preferential mm. voting and how that works. But I think there was also a lot of pushback against that misinformation. There was definitely a lot of stuff going around out there that are like actually no that's not how the Australian electoral system works you can have your preferences and I think people knowing that who maybe didn't want to vote for Labour but knew that they could still put Labour as a second or third preference if they didn't to, to get the Liberals end up out. And putting the Libs last, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, or, um, or either UAP or One Nation. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, true, because UAP and One Nation ran um, candidates in so many seats. Um, mm. But at this point, they haven't gotten any lower house seats. They no. haven't come close um, to the any The Legalised Cannabis Party, um, I think, got more yeah. votes in the Senate than UAP, which one is One Nation fun. has one seat at this point. Um, at recording, uh, but uh, we're still waiting to see some of that stuff. And I mean, I'm I'm scrolling through some of the live results now, and you were talking about a 50.2%, you know, split. Some of these are literally 50-50. Yeah. What the, like in Deacon, what is going on? Yeah, Deacon was, (laughs) Deacon is, that was a tough battle. Um, so I, I remember we had a reporter at Deakin yeah. and I remember her specifically saying, well, I don't think he's going to win, but I'm just going to go anyway. Cause that's the function I got into. And then like straight up and she got so many interviews with him, probably because he also didn't think he was going to win. <laughs> Is that Matt Gregg? <laughs> Matt Gregg. And, um, straight up like knife's edge on the night. And I remember in her final live cross, she was talking about how like, she can't really repeat what people are saying because there's a lot of like expletives yeah. and... <laughs> Uh, it was pretty intense, I think, at those functions. And I'm sure they're still pretty stressed out because they just don't know. It's too close to call. Mm. Well, yeah. it has been yeah, it has been a really interesting election. And one kind of topic that's dominated the election has been this talk of teal, teal independence. And so 10 independents have, have won a seat and mm-hmm. most of them have received funding from Climate 200 and Simon Holmes ACOT. So the, those are the teal independents. Notably, just across the street from us here at Swinburne University is... Monique Ryan and her, her headquarters for Kuyong, who has ousted uh, Josh Frydenberg. And we also saw Zoe Daniel take out Tim Wilson for Goldstein and Allegra Spender defeat Dave Sharma for Wentworth. How surprised should we be that this kind of new wave of independence has come in? I'm not that surprised. I mean, I think a lot of it comes down, uh, it comes off the back of um, treatment of women in parliament specifically, but also more broadly, um, the vast majority, if not all of the independents are women. Um, and so to see the frustration around um, not feeling represented in mm-hmm. parliament in, in terms of uh, policy that is in the best interests of, of much of the population and this conversation around um, ministers being, you know, in the middle of defamation lawsuits, accusations mm-hmm. flying around, all the rest of it. I think that that kind of made this perfect storm that, screwed the libs in in most seats um and and those climate 200 um independents were able to come in 
um, really strong. I mean, at this point, a lot, so the night of the broadcast, we weren't totally sure if Dr. Monique Ryan was going to take that seat. But at this point, it's looking increasingly likely um, with 54. To well, I think Friday it's already Josh Friedenberg has just conceded. Yeah, he's conceded. He's conceded, but there is still, I mean, we have, um, there's 30% of the votes left to count in that seat, right? That's, that's not an insignificant amount. And that's mm-hmm. true for a lot of the seats, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how things pan out. I also think it's worth noting the specific seats that were won by independents. Um, you've got Wentworth. Uh, Dave Sharma had a lot of controversy over mm. his last three years. Um, you've got two Victorian seats with also you know, Josh Frydenberg famously being referred to as the treasurer of New South Wales. Mm. The Liberal Party essentially over the pandemic has... Shot themselves in the foot. Shot themselves in the foot with <laughs> regards to Victoria specifically. They really did not care about us. And um, I think that... You can see that reflected in the way Melbourne and the Melbourne electorates and Greater Melbourne electorates mm. voted on the night. I don't know if you guys have seen that map. But oh, it's red. It, it's red, and there's literally one blue seat, which is unfortunately the one I live in. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, but even that seat, um, the seat of Aston, had a seven point six percent swing to Labor, which yeah. has never happened before. It is an extremely safe, safe Liberal seat. Um, and from what I know on the ground. The campaigners were working on basically no budget because Labor had no expectations for this one, despite Alan Tudge's um, scandals. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's worth noting that a lot of these seats where the contests have happened and the seats have changed hands have been ones where the MPs in particular, and there's been a lot of them that have messed up from the Liberal Party over the last three years. That said, there were a lot of them in... um, Sydney, around Sydney, inner Sydney as well, um, that were very affluent. And I think that that really just, it it speaks to the power of these independents uh, Mm -hmm. carving out a very particular path to the victory that they've gotten, which is, look, we come from a lib background, we get it, we're pissed off, let's address that. And mm-hmm. that resonated with a lot of people, obviously in Victoria, with, with a lot of the frustration of the last few years. But goodness, I mean, across Sydney, uh, across New South Wales, um, we haven't even gotten to the swing of something like 11 or 12% to ALP and WA, which is monstrous. Um, yeah, the, the, the independents have, have done a phenomenal job carving out and, that path. I mean, you have people voting Greens in Queensland. Which is, like, not something I would have ever imagined happening in 2019. In a city... So, the the seat of Brisbane and Griffith specifically, I remember, because I was in Griffith at the time of the last election, uh, was looking like it, it was trending towards greens more mm-hmm. and more every time just not to the point where obviously greens took it um yeah. and so i think seeing the the shift in the cultural shift in brisbane which is mm-hmm. kind of a bizarre thing i mean like the, the moment you get north of the river lost cause who cares um <laughs> but um it's coming from a south sider i'll admit that but um yeah inner city brisbane has become so much more like melbourne in its um cultural sort of makeup i suppose mm-hmm. um hipster central in a lot of ways uh you go to west end and you're like okay cool this is a little bit too much too, too on the nose guys pull yeah. back <laughs> um and so it makes sense that in those inner city seats that they came through but um even further north the libs mm-hmm. lost a, a fair bit of ground um more than they expected to yeah across the ball we did see we've seen a, a swing to labor we've also seen a a step away from both major parties yes. mm-hmm. and a move towards the independents and the Greens. Mm-hmm. Just quickly, what do we think, why do we think people have moved away from both Labor and the Liberals? 
I think it's going to, like I said what earlier, it was just that people don't really see the difference between Labour and Liberal anymore. Um, even though, like, they do have very different policies and do have very different mm. ways of handling it, um, up until, like, that last kind of campaign week, the Labour Party... And not even, I'm not even just talking about, I guess, the campaign, even just the last three years of Anthony Albanese in opposition. Mm. There's been no real indication that there's been a, any kind of battleground. Like, even in the early weeks of the campaign, but also kind of going before that, there were a lot of policies that Anthony Albanese just straight up agreed with Liberal on. So I think people just wanted to actually vote for policies for they believe yeah. in and for change to happen. Um, and... We definitely needed it, I mm. think, after this pandemic. It's a bit weird to kind of speak about that following the context of the 2019 election, where Labour went to the polls on a very progressive platform and it they, they suffered for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really where the way that we've gotten here is a lot of those progressive policies have found their way, say, like, more with more stability to greens to independents and the base of people that are interested in them have you know they haven't just come out of the woodwork in the last three years but the way that they're presented um means that it's it's far more compelling and and now has a lot more power um Mm -hmm. compared to what really what labor was running on in in 2019 because going down to the trying to minimize those differences that was because they screwed up so bad in 2019 Mm -hmm. um and here we are looking at a, a such a, a enormous crossbench of 15, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Well, looking at some of Labor's policies that, that they're going to be bringing in with them, stuff they're touching on includes climate, anti-corruption, the Uluru Statement and housing, just, just to name a few. Mm. Which of these policies really interest you and why? I found it astounding that he started with the Uluru Statement and committing to that. I know there's been quite a bit of controversy amongst, and I, I want to say that I'm not Indigenous and like no one in the studio is Indigenous mm. either. So um, I'm not going to try and provide any expertise on this. Uh, I don't really have much of a voice that I can contribute. But I do think it was astounding that like even though there's a bit of controversy around whether the Uluru Statement is actually good for Indigenous people, that he's actually taking action on it. Uh, because that's not something I would have imagined happening even just last year or even like a few months ago. I, I feel like... And for him to open his speech with that. And on behalf of the Australian Labor Party, I commit to the Uluru Statement from the heart in full. I know that, like, I've seen a lot of people on social media, a lot of Indigenous people on social media react to that, and they said they found it really overwhelming. Back, yeah. Yeah, they found it really overwhelming that, like, that was kind of the opening of it. Um, and they finally felt like they were being prioritised, even if they didn't necessarily agree with it. So... Yeah, I guess that's all I can say is repeating what other people, how other people have reacted. But yeah, it, it was surprising for the first thing for you to say when you become prime minister to make that tribute. It was surprising, but I, it was quite it was quite a nice touch. Mm-hmm. On uh, policy that stands out to me, I'm I haven't gone through in detail the how uh, Labor's housing policy. Um, if they do end up coming into coalition with greens i'm curious to see how that changes mm-hmm. um if if they end up forming a coalition with the independents i imagine it won't change much um, but the greens have run on a far more aggressive progressive um housing platform especially around building affordable housing um interestingly around uh 
wage growth and economic management generally, which is arguably the Liberals' biggest selling point, um, that sorry to clarify, that they marketed themselves on, mm-hmm. um, to, I, I guess, around inflation and around wage growth, to go to, I think it was the Reserve Bank, no, to the Fair Work Commission and give them like a number in which, like how much we need to increase the minimum wage by of like 5.1. I think there are a number of uh, different organizations and groups were saying 5.5% should be actually what we should be raising it mm-hmm. by. Um, seeing how that uh, affects sort of Australia's economy over the next few quarters, I think will be quite interesting. Um, yeah, and and we'll sure. speak um, speak a lot to uh, the chops of, of the, the team that Labor have uh, this time around, which we still don't know. At this point, we know four members of that uh, yeah, cabinet. Yeah, um, we, we don't still know don't who know the housing else. minister is for sure. Yeah. I, I, I think the housing policy has definitely been the one that has interested me the most, especially because that ended up being one of the battleground policies yeah. um, during the campaign. That was kind of the first thing where we finally saw a difference between Labour and Liberal mm. in terms of what they stood for. And I think... <laughs> It'll be interesting to see whether they implement it or not. And like you said, how they're going to have to collaborate with um, the independents and the Greens to make it happen. Uh, And I know there was already a lot of criticism around whether it was taking it far enough uh, because there weren't a lot of... It was, it was a very minimal amount of spaces that mm. were available for that kind of um, help-to-buy program. It's going to be bizarre. Like, talking about taking money out of your super, like, on one hand, obviously, that's what the coalition was talking about. But now Labor was like, you can put a deposit down on a house. I think some they, they would be happy to cover, I think it was something like 40 grand or something, and you'd only need a 2% deposit. That's mental. Like, that, that brings... Um, and, I mean... Within the context of housing policy, you, th- you think about, okay, cool, what impact will that have now? The knock-on effects are going to be really what you should be watching. Mm-hmm. But where we're at now, that once that policy is put into action, that brings home ownership and affordable living into the much closer to, to um, so many people um, and potentially brings tens or hundreds of thousands of people out of the, the rental mm-hmm. market. Um, that otherwise had had no hope of ever owning a home. Yeah, for sure. It will be a policy that we need to watch th- over the course of the next four years yes. at least to see how, how it impacts it and everything. How it impacts people. That is very true. And just to wrap up our special election reflection episode of The Wind Down, do we have any thoughts on craziest moments of the campaign? I, my personally... Deck that kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just, well, just take him out. Just on the way. The ball was the other direction. <laughs> Just how do you stuff that up? I think up? he was just having a bad day. And you know when... <laughs> the kid certainly was. Goodness. I think Tasmania, when Scott Morrison goes to Tasmania, things get a little bit crazy. He knocked down the kid and he I also... I think the Liberals in general, because do you remember that time Tony Abbott ate an onion? That was in Tasmania too. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that's that. just a Tasmania thing. Because um... Scott Morrison, he, he had a... Like he's he shot a whiskey in the morning. Yes. At about eleven a.m. on camera, which which seemed a bit. We strange all at the have time. those days. That's fine. I, I feel like I feel like that's um one of I feel like I would have expected Scott Morrison to do something like that. To be honest, I know he's a. He loves a photo op. He loves a photo op. For me, uh, it was definitely I was following for some reason Josh Frydenberg's seat pretty closely. Mm. It's probably just because like the news podcasts I listened to in the morning were also doing that, but. Um, at his campaign opener, one of his campaigners just making kookaburra noises. (laughs) 
because he was delayed a little bit. So he was like, well, you know, I'm just going to entertain you guys for the a while. The noises were good though. Like, yeah. I, it was a bit awkward when he kept going. One, one impression is enough, I think. But he kept going and I think that was where the problem lied. Um, but also Adam Bantz. Um, Google it, mate. Yeah, Google it, mate. I feel like the gotcha questions were so... I mean, they were annoying years ago. Yeah. But they were just so annoying this time. Like, it tell it told me absolutely nothing about, you know, what I was actually voting for. Mm. And I feel like, especially during an election campaign, the media is supposed to pass through all of the confusing information that they're only going to put out their own campaign information. The media is supposed to pass through that and present, you know, what it actually, what it actually means. Mm. And they were just not doing any of that. Like who cares what the wage price index is exactly? Obviously someone cares. And those are important indicators of things like the economy and how that's going. And definitely the economy is a big issue right Mm. now with the cost of living, but it's more important to me how those numbers actually affect my day-to-day life yeah. and if nothing about like the a, a pot- pot- potential prime minister kind of knowing a figure is telling me anything about like what he actually stands for mm. and when well when anthony Albanese was, was questioned about his ndis six point plan mm. that was a big one i thought that, that was, was a pretty I big did one think that was a little bit disappointing that he couldn't name the points but if you can't mm-hmm. don't react i thought the way he reacted was was pretty poor yeah. saying i know i know like, give me a sec, and then got past the cheat sheet. He yeah. should have said, as you understand, I have a lot on my plate at the moment. Mm. Just yeah. give me a moment to get my notes, or I'll pass you on to the minister for that yeah, something portfolio. That, something that has come up, I think, a lot with Anthony Albanese is that he's not very good at thinking on his feet. He's not a very good campaigner. Mm. Um, he's not a great campaigner the way Scott Morrison, well, tries to be. Uh, but I, I think he's also just not very good at thinking on his feet. I think a lot of people have pointed that out. Obviously, it didn't really make a difference in the end. He's now our prime minister. Elect. Well, I mean, it, 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 kind of, it kind of made a difference because the way that we saw the campaigning done meant that Scott Morrison was trying to focus less on himself and more on his cabinet because obviously him as a character wasn't particularly popular. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, uh, Albanese was trying to focus more on himself, get his name out there. And then once he had COVID and got taken out of the running, then we saw a much bigger sort of spread. I mean, when Jason Clare came out and was talking, I think uh, one of the first times after, all of the reporters were like, you're so charismatic. Why aren't you the the candidate? Yeah, well, I think that that one week he had COVID was actually good for him. It helps a lot because he... It it let him put his cabinet on show. Yeah. And I think that's something so far, you know, most of the campaign really was just a personality contest. And it was really nice to actually see that there were other people other than these two men involved um, and that we were going to be voting for. So that was nice, I think. I mean, apology, like, I'm not... Of course, I wish I didn't. Ha- he didn't have COVID or whatever. But, <laughs> but I think, actually, I think it turned out well. Another interesting one of the, like another crazy moment of the campaign was when he returned from COVID and took a photo for his first press conference back, mm. and it had the back of his dog's tag, which had his phone number on it. His dog definitely, yeah. And had his, to get that one taken off. His dog did become a celebrity, I think. Oh, Toto. Um, yeah, yeah, Toto. Um, um, yeah. I, I'm sure the dog helped in a lot of respects as well. <laughs> uh, 
but I do think there were there were a lot of really interesting moments in this campaign. It was definitely eventful, but I do feel like it was not very information heavy. If that makes sense. I mean, the information was there for you to to kind of dig out if you wanted to, but the mm. way that it was presented, a lot of that comes down to how it was reported more than how they campaigned. Yeah. Um, quickly on uh, the most kind of insane moment. I don't know if it was necessarily in the six weeks, but when uh, Scott Morrison was at a pub in Newcastle and got pulled up by a pensioner mm. and got oh, abused yeah. on, like, w- with all of these cameras there, that felt like uh, just, just this really perfect summation of the frustration with mm. him as a leader uh, that a lot of the country Speaking was feeling. Speaking of Tracy Grimshaw's grilling of him as oh well. Oh my God, that was damning. <laughs> yeah, that Jesus. was insane. I Like when she did that, I was like, goodness gracious, I'm inspired. Yeah, um, <laughs> by Tracy Grimshaw. By Tracy Grimshaw, what of all people. Like she's not an inspiring figure. Uh, so it was, there was a lot of, I think it was interesting to watch him. Mm. Oh, another one. Sorry to... Um, delay this too much uh, was the Channel 7 debate where Mark Riley made them say something nice about each other it was so strange it was such a strange moment because I was like vaguely paying attention I had other work that I was doing while the debate Mm. was on TV and then like when that happened I had to just stop everything I was doing I was like is this really happening like are they asking (laughs) them to say something nice about each other like is this counselling what is going on (laughs) (laughs) it felt like couples therapy Um, but and and Scobo ended up using it to give a backhanded compliment so to Albo, and it was so. That was a surreal moment. I think I still can't believe that happened. None of the debates really were much of a value add. No, so, no. Yeah. It has been a really crazy election. It's been a crazy campaign. Um, I know it's probably been a crazy time for both of you with the broadcast going on. Um, and we'll thank you to everyone that's listened to the broadcast and listened to the wind down, especially our election reflection episode. We'll be taking a hiatus for a few weeks in between semesters and we'll return with season four of The Wind Down next semester. So thank you for listening and thank you for joining me, Jack and Aditi. Thank you. Thank you.